afternoon. I'm, I'm Charles Lee. And I'm Elise Kovic. And this is the Grok Science Show. Today we have Sean Aker, professor of Harvard's Happiness Course and the author of The Happiness Advantage, The Seven Principles of Positive Psychology That Fuel Success and Performance at Work. So you want to stay tuned for all that. That's coming right up. Plus the Grokatron 5000. It's going to be right here on the Grok Science Show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Mr. Sean Acor. He's the author of The Happiness Advantage, and he spent over a decade at Harvard where he was the head teaching fellow for a class called Positive Psychology, which was one of the most popular classes at the time. Uh, his lectures on happiness and human potential have received attention from the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, CNN, NPR, the Grok Science Show. In fact, the Times recently named Sean a world-famous expert on positive psychology. So welcome to the Grok Science Show, Mr. Aker. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you. So I'd like to start out with a question, a simple one. Um, What's positive psychology anyway? Positive psychology is an exciting and relatively new movement in psychology, which changes the way that we study humans. A lot of traditional psychology focuses upon what's going on wrong. So psychology focuses on things like depression or disorder. What positive psychology attempts to do is focus on the positive side of the curve. It's the science of things that we have neglected in the past, things like joy or compassion or humor or how these things interact with optimism and meaning that we find in our lives. So basically it's studying what works in humans instead of what's broken. One of the things that I read from your book was that most people believe that once they become successful, then they'll be happy. But recent discoveries in the field of positive psychology and neuroscience have shown this formula to be backwards. So will you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think that that's the most exciting part about the research that I do is that over the past two years, I have been traveling to 45 different countries working with people in the midst of the economic downturn, trying to find out what causes us to feel optimistic and what causes us to have forward progress in the midst of challenging times like this. And what I found at most of these schools and companies that I've been working with worldwide, and these are everything from school children living in Soweto in South Africa to working with the CEO earlier this fall with, of Adobe and Burt's Bees and working with banks in the midst of this banking crisis. And what we found is that most people follow a formula for happiness and success that actually doesn't work. Most people think, if I can just work harder right now in the present, then I'll be more successful and I'll achieve the goals that I want. And once I achieve those goals and once I'm successful, then I'll feel happier. So the normal formula that we use is work harder, be more successful, then in the future you'll be happier. The problem is that that formula is scientifically broken for two reasons. The reason that I wrote The Happiness Advantage is because I think we need to get the order right. What it turns out is, first of all, it's incorrect because every time we have a success, and I think every one of your listeners has experienced this, every time you do have a success, you get a good grade in a class, you get into a good school, you get a good job, all of that success, so it should have made you happier. And it does, but that happiness is very short term because 
then you have to look for the next goal. Mm-hmm. So your brain keeps changing what success looks like. And when it keeps doing that, if happiness is on the opposite side of success in that formula, we keep pushing off happiness. You get into a good school, and I started this work at Harvard. This is a place where it's pretty good school. a lot of these students had wanted to go their whole lives. And we thought, well, once they got in, then they'd be happier. And it turns out that wasn't the case at all. Many of them, four out of five Harvard students report experiencing work debilitating depression. Mm -hmm. So this isn't something that causes immediate, success doesn't cause immediate happiness. But the real exciting formula, or the real exciting discovery is that the formula works in the opposite order. Based upon the neuroscience that you mentioned and positive psychology, we discovered something called the happiness advantage, which is every single one of our business and educational outcomes improves when our brain is positive compared to our own brain when it's negative, neutral, or stressed. What that means is we can find a way of becoming more positive in the present, in the midst of our work, in the midst of an economic downturn. Then our success rates rise dramatically as our brains are able to perform more intelligently, more creatively, with more energy. We see more possibilities. So what I've been doing is trying to take this research and bring it out to companies and schools to show them how if they can reverse the formula, they can not only increase their levels of happiness in the present instead of waiting off towards the future when it never actually occurs, but that they can actually increase their ability to deal with the challenges that they have now. Okay, here's a question for you. One of, well, actually a couple of the things in life that I really like doing that makes me happy is drinking wine, playing Nintendo, hanging out with my dogs, and lying on the couch. Now, that could make me into a very happy person. It does make me into a very happy person. But according to what you're saying, if I keep doing this, I could be successful. (laughs) Well, it's interesting. It depends on how we define happiness. And like you, I I would include all those different things, except I'd switch out an Xbox for the Nintendo. (laughs) uh... I'm talking old school Nintendo. Oh, really? Yeah, I have my original. Wow, that's impressive. Thank um, you. I love that. Even just thinking about it is making me smile. So it definitely has an effect. You know, playing Tech Mobile on the old Nintendo does cause us to feel positive in the, in the short term, which is great. And there's actually nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think that people oftentimes neglect doing things like that, those happiness boosters, at the cost of their own long-term success. And I'll get to that in a second. But what I think is important is how we define happiness. With all these this work with these different countries, almost every person I've met has a different definition of happiness, ranging everything from short-term pleasure to joy that you can feel in the midst of suffering. And the way we define it is the joy that one feels striving after your potential. So we feel happiest when we're striving towards our potential as a student, as a musician, as a, an athlete, as a gamer, as a business person, whatever it is that we're doing, even as a friend or as an apparent, we feel the most joy when we feel like we're moving forward in that direction. So what that definition does is it links together happiness with a directional sense of purpose instead of merely just pleasure. Pleasure, like playing video games, for example, or drinking wine or eating chocolate, that causes short-term gains. What we're gains, what we're looking for, is taking those short moments of happiness and creating a lifelong pattern of our brain scanning the world for the positive. In other words, what we're looking for is to change the cognitive patterns, the way our brain perceives the world, from one just pleasure or unhappiness, or just am I working right now or not working, to one that sees not just the stresses, hassles, and problems, but actually sees ways to change the environment to a better one. 
that helps us to achieve that greater level of potential. So what we do is we take people who are stressed, for example, and we have them play a video game um, mm-hmm. or we have them drink wine and then see what effect that has upon their performance. And if they season their day with the moments like that, then we find that their productivity rises dramatically over if they were just neutral or stressed all the time. Now, if they only play video games or only pursue pleasure, then what we find is, of course, their productivity starts to decrease. And they actually don't feel happier. We find that if you just played video games forever, we actually, while it's pleasurable, it seems, in the short term, we actually start to long for something else in our lives. And when we have that, what we're seeking for is that pursuit of our potential. That makes sense. Now, one of the things that you you mentioned, um, that there have been neuroscientific studies that have shown these formulas that we we spoke about to be backward. So tell me about the neuroscience, because I'm a neuroscientist by training. Oh, fantastic. So we've been discovering a couple of things. One of the things that we discovered was, um, as you probably know, dopamine, which Mm -hmm. gets released, neurochemical gets, gets released, where in these states of pleasure or we have some sort Uh, you win a race or um, you're in these moments where you're playing a video game and it's going well, that dopamine has two effects upon us. We knew that it makes, uh, it provides elevated levels of enjoyment in our our lives. But the second thing that this dopamine does is it actually turns on and activates many of the learning centers in the brain, which causes our brains to encode information better when we're in a positive state as opposed to just a neutral state or a negative state. So we watch these students, for example, who cram for their tests, you know, mm-hmm. and they get really stressed out. They think they're going to fail. They go into the test. They might do okay on the test, but they don't remember the information three days later, even sure. if that information would be valuable to them for their job in the future. Mm-hmm. And yet we can remember, you know, song lyrics to inane songs from two decades. And even though that information is useless to us, our brain is encoded that information, not just because of the rhythm of the song, but when we're in a pleasurable state, when we had those feelings of optimism and happiness in our lives, our brains actually learn the information better. We're able to use it on a more daily basis. So our question then is, if that's true, and there's a whole host of studies. We found you know, doctors, when they're primed to be positive, show an up to 50% increase in the speed and accuracy of their diagnoses and a, a threefold increase in our creativity when our brains are positive. Mm-hmm. We've seen that when people take intelligence tests at positive, they outperform their own brain when that brain is negative, neutral, or stressed. So if all of this is true, then why is it in our classrooms and why is it at work that we are usually in an existence of being negative, neutral, or stressed? when our brains actually could be performing so much better on those achievement tests that our students are taking or upon the productivity that we want to see our companies create when our brains are are positive instead of negative. So is this what you mean when you say that positive thoughts and actions cause our brains to work at optimal levels? Exactly. What we found is is, there's been so many studies that have been done since 1998, which is when positive psychology was formed. One of the researchers did, a woman named Sondra Lubomirsky, she went and did a meta-analysis of all these studies looking to see what causes people to, uh, what the connection is between positivity and success. And what she found is exactly what we've been seeing with the happiness advantage, is that when somebody gets their brain to become more positive, then suddenly that they have higher levels of sales, up to 37% increase in sales in uh, companies. We've seen healthcare costs 
go down. We've seen pressure rates go down. You're better at finding a job, better at keeping a job. People perceive you as being more charismatic. They perceive you as being more attractive. You live longer. You get all these health benefits, like symptoms are less acute. So basically what we're finding is human brains, while it's, we thought for a while it was designed to work best when it was stressed, which we see works very quickly when we have something negative or stress happen to us, which evolutionarily makes sense. If they were two tigers attacking you, you want to respond very quickly. The problem is if we live our lives believing that every email that comes in is a potential saber-toothed tiger, our brains actually dramatically underperform and we stop seeing possibilities for change in our environment as our brains only see fight or flight options. Whereas one of the other researchers, Barbara Fredrickson, she found that when the brain is positive, instead of fight or flight, which is narrowing down your brain, you actually can expand your brain into something called broaden and build, which is where you broaden the amount of possibilities that your brain perceives in the world, and you're able to build new patterns in your life, causing you to be significantly more adaptive to the world. I guess what I'm trying to find out, though, is when you say working at optimal levels, okay, so if your brain, you keep saying your brain is positive, so we have positive attitudes, the way that we feel, the way that we think, but I don't quite understand what it means that your brain is working at optimal levels. How were these optimal levels quantified? Basically, every way we've been able to look at it, we've seen the exact same results. So let's take somebody who is tired, for example. Mm -hmm. We know that they do less well on intelligence tests than somebody who has gotten the full eight hours of sleep. Mm -hmm. In that case, what we can say is that the human brain works at a more optimal level when the brain is rested as opposed to when it's not. I see. So what we did is the same, the similar types of studies with intelligence, with creativity, with productivity, with energy levels, when you have somebody primed to be positive, negative, neutral, or stressed. I what we found you. is when somebody is in an optimistic state, which is they are perceiving present reality as realistically as possible, but maintaining a belief that their behavior matters. What we find is when you compare them to, what, and you have them take an intelligence test, mm -hmm. or you have them re record their energy patterns over the course of the day, or you look to see how much activation is occurring on brain scans in different parts of the brain, or you're looking at how many connections they're able to make at work or how long they're able to work on a project. Literally every single business and outcome we've looked at seems to be positively affected by the brain being in that positive state as opposed to the way we, we normally work, which is neutral or even stressed or negative. So this would be incredibly useful for employers or anyone who is of in a leadership position, basically, to not drive their employees crazy, essentially, to create a decent work environment, wouldn't you think? Totally agree with you. Because what we're finding is that a lot of us m misunderstand work. We think that what it means to be really successful is to push your people as hard and as fast as they possibly can. And what we're finding is the reason when the conference board survey came out this past year, we found the highest rates of job dissatisfaction in the history of polling. And that's in the midst of high unemployment in the United States. Mm -hmm. What we're finding is that people are incredibly unhappy at their jobs. We're finding less and less meaning in our work lives and even in our personal lives. And depression rates seem to be increasing. And I think part of that is that we've misunderstood what causes us to be productive. It's not more hours. It's not more stress. It's not all these different types of things. It's trying to find out what causes our brain to, to be functioning at, at an optimal level. In other words, as we were going back to what we were saying, mm -hmm. is if an employer really wants to increase the productivity of their team, 
one of the things that they need to be able to do is ensure that their team, for example, works well with one another and likes the people that they work with. Sure. Um, we found that social support at work is the greatest predictor of whether or not somebody will stay at that company instead of going to another one. We find that all these people that try and stress out their employees and you know hold an axe of firing them above them, that that person's cognitive abilities, their intelligence, and their creativity actually decline from the tasks that they're doing, and they can't work as long as they could have otherwise in terms of their energy patterns. So that's what I've been doing over the past couple years is I have been working with places like Adobe and with Google and UBS and American Express trying to work with these companies to get their, their leaders to recognize that one of the key, I think actually the biggest competitive advantage in this modern economy for a company is a positive and engaged workforce. And I think our companies are underperforming what they could be if we actually valued and prioritized the happiness and the positive leadership within our companies. Well, what sort of suggestions do you have for people who do have that overbearing, absolutely ridiculous boss who is simply driving them crazy? What do you do for those people who feel absolutely defeated, but hey, jobs are hard to come by, so you know what? We just suck it up. So what do you say to that person? How do they suck it up and remain positive? One of the things about positive psychology that I think is valuable is that it doesn't put on rose-colored glasses or mm-hmm. it's not Pollyannish in the sense that it doesn't say, hey, everything's great, right, that there's no problems in the world, which is what I think some irrational optimists think that's what positive psychology is. Positive psychology is about rational optimism, which is you know, being able to realistically accept the fact that, yes, I have a boss that's terrible or this job is suboptimal for me, or I'd like to be doing something different with my time, just the economy doesn't allow me to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, what we find is that only 10% of our long-term happiness we can predict as scientists based upon the externals for an individual. In other words, if I know what clothes you wear, what job you have, where in the world you live, all of those things combined, I can only still predict 10% of the differences in long-term happiness between people. 90% of our long-term happiness is about how our brain is then processing the reality we find ourselves in, which means we actually have a lot more power than we normally assume to be able to change our happiness levels, even in the midst of suffering. Over the course of the past couple of years, I've worked with bankers in Zurich who didn't receive their bonus one year, their bank, uh, the bonuses of the bank that they thought they would receive, and they were devastated. My heart Gosh. bleeds and, for them. Yes, <laughs> exactly, because right after that, I went down. So this is a group of people that are quite wealthy who one year <laughs> didn't get their bonus, and a lot of it was made up later on. I then went down to Zimbabwe, straight from Zurich, to a country that just got rated the worst country in the world, to a group of people who's not, they didn't just get their bonus, but their entire currency collapsed. Mm-hmm. Um, one guy said he spent a million of the Zim dollars to buy a chocolate bar. And I expected, based upon just the externals, that this, this would be the most unhappy place that I'd worked with. Mm-hmm. And yet what we found is in the midst of that, we found some of the most optimistic and resilient people that we could imagine who were focused not on all the things that, of course, were going wrong. You were talking about having a bad boss or a toxic leader. They have a military dictatorship there. Sure. They have a non-functioning economy. And yet they were still able to to scan their lives for ways in which they felt like they could still be moving in a positive direction. And as a result of that, they were actually still able to find a happiness in the midst of it where some people are not. 
So that's not to indicate, you know, we should all move to Zimbabwe or that some people have got it right and we have it wrong or that this is all based on genetics. Mm -hmm. What this is an indication of is that happiness is a work ethic. It's something we actually have to work towards and practice, especially in the midst of challenge. Because if happiness and positivity actually do connect to all these higher business and educational outcomes, then in the midst of hard times, it's actually even more important for our brains to be happy whereas in good times, happiness is almost a luxury item. So what I've done in the book, The Happiness Advantage, is try and describe seven of these strategies that we've been researching that seem to increase that long-term happiness. What people can do, even in the midst of challenge, even such as a bad boss, to be able to create a more positive world. One of the ways that they do that is something extremely simple. We just had people for 21 days in a row just write down three things that they were grateful for when they started each day. It's so simple that we're like, okay, that's probably not going to affect the fact that you live in Zimbabwe or the fact that you have a bad boss or that the economy is not what we want it to be or that we're unemployed right now. found is 21 days of writing down what you're grateful for. If it's different each day, what happens is your brain gets stuck in a new pattern where instead of scanning the world for all those negative things when you first wake up, the stresses, the hassles, the complaints, the problems, the way the world is not how we want it to be. We find even in the midst of the challenge, our brain starts scanning the world for the things that we still feel grateful for or opportunities that we can pounce upon. And as a result of that, what we find is the reality can remain the same, and yet our brain is suddenly in a, a different state, which allows it to, based upon the happiness advantage research, be able to see possibilities in that difficult environment to move forward or find ways of being grateful even in the midst of great challenge. And in 21 days, we found that people who were pessimists, who had always tested pessimists, were suddenly testing as low-level optimists. Even six months after where they had taken 45 seconds each day to write down three things they were grateful for, their brain was still significantly more optimistic. They were getting better evaluations from their senior leaders. They were better at sales. They had higher levels of reported job effectiveness, and their health had improved. So what we're finding is that there's very simple and small changes we can make to our lives that allow our brains to be able to deal with a very difficult world in a much more positive way. I love that. I'm going to do that. Tell me more. Do you have any more little tips like that? My favorite one right now, and this is research we're continuing now at companies like Adobe and at UBS, but this was originally done by several other researchers, but it's so powerful. What we found is that altruism, we're doing something kind, is the biggest buffer against depression. It's also social support in the study that I did at Harvard. We did 1,600 Harvard students trying to find out what causes success and happiness. And what we found is every single time I test this with companies and with schools, that social support, the people around you, is the greatest predictor of somebody's happiness and success in a time of challenge. The correlation is 0.7, which mm -hmm. might not sound that interesting to some of your listeners, but that correlation is stronger between social support and success during a time of challenge than the connection between smoking and cancer. It's an extraordinarily <laughs> powerful connection. Yeah. So what we do is we have people, and we've been trying this out at, at Morgan Stanley uh, right now, where we have their executives, when they first get into work, the very first thing they do is they open up their, when they open up their inbox is before they read any of the emails is to write a one to two sentence email praising or thanking somebody in their life, a coworker, a family member, a friend. It's two sentences long, so it takes less than two minutes to do. But the goal of it is just to recognize somebody's achievements, to praise them for how they've been helping you, 
to thank them for being in your life. It has to be specific. Mm-hmm. What we find is after those 21 days of doing this, a couple things happen. First of all, that person suddenly starts believing that they have significantly more social support around them because mm-hmm. they now recognize that there are 21 people around them that were important to them. But the other side of it is they've just activated 21 people in their lives, causing a feedback loop of them being more positive and you being more positive and creating a new social script at work and our schools where people are actually recognizing and grateful and thankful to each other instead of just looking for some of the faults and flaws, which very quickly, I do this one right now, and it's unless something really good happens during the day, it's usually one of the highest points of my day because it's a moment where I realize I've just helped somebody else, but Mm -hmm. it turns something as soul-draining as email can be into something (laughs) that's life-giving where you can't help but open your inbox for the first time during the day without making an impact upon somebody. So in the book, what we do is we go through, those are two strategies that are under one of the principles called the Tetris effect, which is changing the way your brain is scanning the world. So if you journal for five minutes a day Mm -hmm. about one positive experience you had over the past 24 hours, stop and think something meaningful that happened over the past 24 hours. Once you figure it out, you write down every detail you can remember about it. What happens is your brain actually gets to not only relive that experience, because our brain has trouble telling the difference between visualization and actual experience, but then your brain starts connecting the dots as you journal for 21 days, 21 days being kind of a baseline for creating a life habit. And what we find is that when people journal like that, instead of waking up in the morning and having a task-based cognitive pattern, in other words, you know, what are the tasks I have to do today? What are the challenges I have? You try and check off as many on that list, and then you go to sleep at night frustrated, which leads to us feeling not much meaning in our work and our lives. It changes it to a meaning-based pattern in which what's pulling you through each day is that one moment of meaning that now be, is connected through that constellation that your brain is now connecting the dots for. In other words, when you journal for 21 days, your brain connects the dots, and now your emails, your commute, the work you have start to wrap around that meaning trajectory. And it literally only takes one moment of meaning in a day for your brain to judge that day as a meaningful one, mm-hmm. which changes your brain from a task-based system to a meaning-based one, allowing for greater happiness and joy. It sounds so simple. It, it really does. The reason that I'm buying into this is that it, it really seems quite different than your average self-help exercise. When I say self-help, I'm talking about like the self-help section at the bookstore. Do you know what I mean? I definitely do. Okay, because um, I don't know if I'm articulating it enough or, or quite well for that matter. So I think we get frustrated with things like what we see with the self-help movement, which seems like almost a, a band-aid that we put on deeper issues or that we see people who have been extraordinarily successful who then write a book or have a philosophy that they then try to teach the people who are currently less successful. And it's hard to hear that something worked really well for one person Mm -hmm. and then say, yes, this will work for other people. The reason we're doing this research in positive psychology is we're interested in how much can people change and and what are the things that actually cause change. So if somebody says, a self-help writer says, optimistic thinking is good for you, We know that it's common sense, but it's not common action at all. So something's getting in the way of that actually happening. And so what we look to find out is what are the best ways that we can get somebody's brain to become more optimistic? And is that person right? When they say that it's better to be optimistic, in which situations is that true? And how can we teach people to be able to do that? So I think what differentiates this and why I think it's creating a 
we're seeing it unfold as, as literally a, a cultural movement against the ways that we're currently doing our work. There's research behind things that we have believed to be common sense, but that we haven't put into practice. And when we realize that this is how our brains actually work and that we've tested these theories out, and it's not just somebody trying to make money off of a philosophy or an idea that they have that they, they might not even live themselves, what we're pointing out to people is how much change is possible for our brains, that there's more potential than we realized, and that we have the capability of being able to make the changes that we've been hearing from every one of the major religious traditions all the way up to modern self-help writers. This could be really helpful for all of us that have very bad attitudes out there like myself. Um, and uh, Mr. Aker, do you have time um, to play the Grokatron 5000? Of course. Yay. All right, here's Charles. Time to play the game, the Grokatron 5000. It's our supercomputer formerly known as Deep Blue. And today's topic, of the falling five people, do you think that they would be required to take the happiness course and uh, why? Mr. Aker, you ready to play the game? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Person number one, should she take the happiness course, Oprah Winfrey? (laughs) (laughs) I think we have lots to learn from Oprah. She's done an amazing job connecting people together and getting them to believe that change is possible. All right, number two, Sarah Palin. I I am a Democrat, so I will preface this by saying that I'm biased. But I feel like a lot of what she's saying seems to be pointing at the negatives that are occurring in the world instead of the positives, the things that we can do to change the present reality into a better one. So I think that she she could benefit from some optimistic thinking. She could benefit from a lot. Um, But, yes, we agree with you. All right, number three, Jeff Bridges. True Grit's phenomenal. So I think it's definitely going to make me happier, (laughs) but I don't know if he needs to be happier. So I'm going to say everyone can benefit from taking a class on happiness. So I'll say yes. All right. All right. Uh, Julian Assange. Uh, (laughs) I think he can definitely use some happiness boosters right now in the midst of the challenges that we have. We know when we feel stressed, that's the most important time for us to be able to take time to do this that make us feel happiest. So I hope that in the midst of this, he'll be actually connecting with people at a deep level. So, yes. So he would, like, probably wiki-leak all the class notes. (laughs) (laughs) He would have all the notes up there. For everyone to see. (laughs) You have to cheat in the course on happiness. (laughs) 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 Then you need the course. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Okay, and then finally, Lindsay Lohan. Lindsay Lohan could definitely use. That was too easy. I think she's just an example of how many of us feel frustrated despite the successes we feel. She's mm. a perfect example of being talented and beautiful. It doesn't necessarily cause us to be happy. And I think that there is a lot for us to learn about trying to do it the other way around, finding a way of becoming positive, and I bet she'll become even more successful in the future. Okay, well, thank you so much. Have a happy, happy holiday and a happy new year. Thank you. Yeah, that's all I can say is thank you so much. I really enjoyed speaking with you, and thank you for coming on the Grok Science Show. Well, this was really fun. Thank you so much for having me. Next book, um, I hope you come and visit us again. I definitely will. Wonderful. Have a great one. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, so in any case, um, it's a good thing, and of course, uh, we learned a lot today. Learn about happiness and my yeah. bad attitude. I, you got to be happy. I know. I know. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't do that. <laughs> There's your bad attitude. <laughs> what are you doing? I know. You okay. got to smile. I smile you know, a lot. Happiness. You know? Yes, indeed. So we want everybody out there um, to have a. Don't do anything we wouldn't do. <laughs> I, I don't do anything. So.
I invited do you. Never mind. Uh, well, uh oh. All right. Well, do something then. Uh, this has been the Grok Science Show. I've been Charles Lee. And I'm Elise. And we'll be back with more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us, email us science at grox.net. Uh, web address www.grox.net. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Again, this Twitter thing that we don't really know. Charles is. I'm not. I, we, again, we tweet, but we don't really know what we're doing. Uh, in any case, <laughs> we're on these things. Contact us there. Again, have a great... Ditto.